This is the Ed Marlin Show. Hey everybody, I'm excited to share today's conversation with David Goggins with you. But prior to doing that, I want to warn you, the language used in this interview is very strong and there's profanity used throughout the conversation. David speaks in this interview like David speaks. And so if you have children that you don't want to hear very intense language, this would not be the interview for you to listen to or watch and, and you can make sure that they're out of the room or anywhere around you when they're listening to it. Or if you yourself are offended by strong language like that, I just want to warn you as a friend that maybe this isn't the interview for you. If you can tolerate it or it doesn't bother you at all, it's going to change your life though. Welcome back to Max Out, everybody. I got him right there. That's Goggins, everyone. Number one requested guest, you don't know this, for my show the last two years is you. Really? Yeah. Yeah, really. Honored. 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 And I, I got to tell you, the best, by far, off-camera conversation I have ever had is what we've been having. I think you would agree. It's been good oh, for you, 100%. too. <laughs> it's been good for both of it's us. It's been real good. And uh, hopefully that'll transition over to, to the show itself. But this, this is a gentleman who completed Navy SEAL training, Army Ranger training, Air Force TAC-P training. I believe he's the only person in history to do that. Yes, sir. This is a guy who did three hell weeks, 60-plus ultra marathons, ran with broken bones for 30 miles to get into one of the mega ultra marathons. And a lot of people call him the toughest man alive. But I'm excited because I get to call him my friend now. I've enjoyed this conversation so much, and I think you guys are going to join the on-camera one. So this is Goggins, everybody. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, man. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, if I call you David Goggins. Yeah, it's fine, man. David Goggins is fine. Goggins, David, just don't call me Dave. Okay. Well, you... You're Goggins now, but you grew up David Goggins. Right. And I, most people know this about your upbringing because I want to get into this stuff. But I was fascinated before I met you, like, what makes this? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, what are the circumstances, the conditions, the thinking that turns somebody into you? Right. And so start a little bit with, like, how you grew up because I think that's part of the story. Well, um, my dad, so I grew up in Buffalo, New York. My, my dad really helped create this. I'm not giving him credit. Yeah. Like, oh, he was a great dad. Like, clap my hands for his ass. Mm. He helped create this because he was just that, he was a, a devil. Mm. You know, he was a guy that had to be very insecure, very beat down. Something had to happen to him when he was yeah. younger. Because the, the way he treated me, my brother, my mom was just horrible. Mm. So he would beat us. My mom, my brother, my me. And I'm not talking about like, oh, you got in trouble. Mm. So let me give you a whipping. Mm -hmm. when he, would, he was a drunk. Okay. So whenever he woke up, man, he woke up drinking. Went to bed drinking. And yeah. that's just how it was. And when he get drunk, he just got violent. Mm. So my mom caught my dad cheating. We got home about 4 o'clock in the morning. So I'm about 7, 8 years old. And I hear some ruckus outside my room as I'm getting ready to bed down for the night. And my mom and dad are outside my room because there's a staircase right there. And my dad is smacking the hell out of my mom mm -hmm. and knocks her almost unconscious where she's kind of out of it. You know, she's kind of loopy. She falls down. He grabs her by her hair and drags her down the stairs by her hair. Mm -hmm. And so at this age, I'm sort of thinking, man, you know, what the fuck should I do, man? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm scared. But then something in me saying, you got to go and do something. Oh my God. But I'm scared to death of this guy because he's been beating the shit out of me since I can remember. And I mean like laying me out for nothing. And I'm sitting thinking, man, okay, man, like I, what am I going to do? So my brother, he and I were very different. When my brother would see the fighting, he would go to this room and hide. hide. Yeah. I didn't do that. 
I always stuck around. So this time I stuck around and I decided to help her out. So I go on the stairs and I jump on his back and literally he tells my mom, you're raising a gangster as she's like mm -hmm. on the floor. And he's, and he's almost smiling, almost like proud. But the, that smile went to a, a frown pretty quick and he mm -hmm. beat the living hell out of me. Mm -hmm. And he beat me literally from my neck down to my ankles, like black and blue. So the next morning, um, I was gonna go to school half the day. My mm. mom woke up and she pulled the covers back. And what she saw oh was how bruised I was. Mm. And so when she pulled the covers back and saw how bruised I was, I'll never forget looking at her face. Mm. Because she used to write letters for me, you know, for uh, me and my brother to miss PE because mm. we were so bruised up from getting beaten. So, you know, hey, he's sick or yeah. whatever. And so, you know, she was lying a lot for my dad. So this particular day, she didn't write a letter. But when I laid in the bed and looked at my mom, when she pulled the covers back, I'll never forget looking at her face. Mm. And her face is tattooed in my brain. And why I say that, um, this past year, I got the VFW Award for Americanism Award. Mm -hmm. And if you Google David Goggins VFW Award, <clears throat> I'm in front of 5,000 veterans. And I'm getting this amazing award. John McCain got it. Mm. And I'm up here thinking, man, I'm up here getting this award. This is amazing. Mm. It's for giving back and also having a great military career. And I could give this six minute long speech. Mm. And I'm up there, man, I'm talking and I'm thinking, I'm thinking people who helped me out. And I get to my mom, she's sitting back, you know, she's sitting right here on stage, but behind me. And I haven't cried in 30 years. I can't even picture it. I haven't yeah. cried in 30 years, I just don't do that. Mm -hmm. And I turn around and say, and I, and I want to thank my mom for um, not picking me up when I was knocked down, but teaching me how to get up. Because mm -hmm. she never picked me up ever. Mm -hmm. And because her circumstances sucked. Yeah. So anyway, I look back and I said that, and when I got done, I didn't even get a chance to say it. Mm -hmm. I looked at her eyes and my head went right back to her face when she saw me bruised up. Mm -hmm. And that, fucked me up and for 58 seconds look at the video okay. and you'll see me my head's down and i'm sobbing wow and i'm in front of 5,000 vets and the wow. guy who was who was hosting the thing had to come up to me and like put his hand on my back mm. and i was just destroyed mm. overcome with emotion mm. and then 58 seconds go by and i get up and i deliver this speech and so i tell you that because life my life tattooed me. Yeah. And so when I came from Buffalo, I was eight years old. Several learned, I, I didn't have one learned disability, I had several. But I hid all this shit. Mm. I never talked about my dad being crazy or I couldn't read, I couldn't write. I got held back in my you know, second grade. So now we move. My mom now finds the courage to move to the small town called Brazil, Indiana. Was that beating the catalyst that made that you leave? That was a catalyst. And that's probably why you flash back to that second. Right. Okay, I got so you. So basically that next morning, so this is what happened. That, that beating happened and maybe two days later, my mom's in the living room while my dad's in the kitchen talking to one of his girls. Mm. My mom walks in the kitchen with me and my brother sitting in our, you know, standard locations at the table. Mm -hmm. My dad at the head of the table, me and my brother at the side of the table. And there's a phone behind my dad. He always talked on the phone, smoking a cigarette, drinking his scotch. And he's talking to one of his girls on the phone. And my mom walks in, and this is where she was at mentally. She walked in, looked at me and my brother, and she said, you guys can come or you guys can stay, but I'm getting the fuck out of here. Oh, my God. And so she was 
broke. Like, mm. she was just broken. Mm. And I got my shit and I packed. I, I, I was gone quick. My brother was kind of like, what should I do? So, Whoa. long story short, he ends up coming with us to Brazil, Indiana, but he didn't want to come. We had car trouble. It's all in the book. He yeah. had car trouble. All kind of shit happened, but we finally get to Brazil, Indiana. Let me jump in real quick. First off, when he says the book, everybody, I've read a lot of books. My favorite thing about you, obviously, there's this things we're going to get into in a little bit here that are just remarkable about you, that you've achieved. Actually, I don't think are remarkable about you. I think you found remarkable spaces in your own mind that other people could also find. Right. Uh, but I think it's remarkable you found them given these circumstances. Well said. But, but the book that he's referring to, guys, is Can't Hurt Me. And when you read this book, everybody, I'm telling you, these stories like he's telling them now, they jump. Like, I read the whole book in one day. Wow. And the reason is, is because I was so fascinated with you in the first place. But it's a, it's, I think it's almost like a documentary into what can build somebody like you. But it like, right. for me... People that are listening to this, especially you young people that are listening to it, and I know some of the language is strong, but I just want you all to understand something. No matter what you're going through right now, whether you're seven years old or 77 years old, those things don't define you. This man, what you're about to hear is incredible what he's turned himself into from a dad who was in those conditions to, I think your mom was great, right? But you've sort of said, mom wasn't ever again completely herself after those situations, no. right? Then he goes into school, has a learning disability, he's behind because he wasn't going to school. Kind of starts just lying and cheating to get his way through school. Stuttered. 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 Stuttered bad. Like this. My, my elementary years, I stuttered so bad. I had these white splotches all over my skin. I had patches of hair falling out of my head. Out of like, stress? Stressed. I was so stressed out from my childhood. And then now, I'm in this situation where I'm like, God, man, I, I, I'm dumb. Mm. I, I'm, I'm not smart. And, and now I'm like this, this black kid amongst all these white people. Mm -hmm. And it just made me feel just yeah. fucked up. And my mom was working three jobs. Mm. We lived in a seven dollar a month place. Mm. She was never home. And I was like, and I, so, but I didn't want to put my troubles on my mom. Before that, my soon to be stepdad got murdered. One incident that really shocked my mind was, it was Christmas. So picture everything I talked about. Mm -hmm. This is my seventh grade year. We're about to go out for, um, you know, so school, so, so, so Christmas break's about to happen. And so here we are, we had elementary to junior high that rode our bus. And we pull up in front of the junior high school and the bus lets out, but not yet. This kid who missed the bus, he missed the bus because he had some cookies for the bus driver. He goes over and I tell a story because this story, it fucked me up so bad. Mm. And this, this kid, mom brought him to school and I see them pull up. I'm in the back of the bus. And I'm in the very back, right by the back wheel, facing the parking lot. The parking lot is probably 20 feet wide. And 15 buses are lined up, and we all open the bus doors the same time we all get out. So the kid, I see him. The mom yells over, you forgot something. He obviously forgot the cookies. He goes back, gets the cookies. I look forward. The bus moves forward maybe this much. Next thing I know, I'm hearing this lady screaming, mm. top of her lungs, pulling like at her hair, just, just yanking at her hair, just screaming bloody murder. And I'm looking over to the same lady that called her little boy. I'm like, what the hell? And she's looking down under my tire. Mm -hmm. And so I see these things on my window, and I don't know what they were, but they were like little splots. Oh, so you know how the old bus school, you know, the buses have little things you push in, you pull the window down. I push them in, I look down, I'm looking at her, and her face, her eyes are looking right down underneath my tire. I'm like, what the hell is she looking at? So I looked down, and this kid's head oh my was this flat. 
and his eyes were bugged out of his head. And, and I tell you that story because a year, almost exactly a year later, the same exact time frame, the day after Christmas, my mom soon to be stepped, or my, my soon to be stepped that got murdered. Oh my God. So that, oh I tried to God. bury that, and now my eighth grade year, he gets murdered. And so what happens, I, I had to bring you back here to set the tone for what happened here. I want to understand what the hell you just said. You're telling me in the seventh grade, you watched a young man get run over? By I didn't the bus? see it. I saw the after You effect. saw the after of his, oh my. And so what I did, so, so I got off the bus, and this is what curiosity does to you. This is the dumbest thing I've done in my life. Um, I'm walking now, so I have to go to the principal's office because I was like witness to this shit. So I'm in the principal's office sitting there, and the one thing I did was I looked under the bus. Mm. As I, so I see this, and I look under the bus as I'm walking to the principal's office, and I see these little kids' shoes. Now, I'm, I'm telling you this because this shit is, it's about PTSD, mm. and, and you know, so I already had it from my childhood. Of now I'm in seventh grade, and I see these little kids' shoes like this big, he was, a, he was an elementary kid, just twisted in. And I'm just like, what the fuck? And then nearly a year later, the day after Christmas, a year later, my soon-to-be stepdad gets murdered. And I tell you that because I slept on my floor for probably, I don't know, four, four months to six, to, to, to six months. Why? I was afraid to sleep in my bed for some reason. Wow. Don't know why. Wow. Some psychological fucking like, wow. but I I'm painting this picture for you to let you know boy. where I was at. I, yeah. So um, one time my in my uh, Spanish class, we had all of our notebooks that that stayed in the class. Mm -hmm. So and you know obviously your name's on it. Yeah. You, you go get your notebook for a class, mm -hmm. and I always sat back in the back of every class, man, because mm -hmm. I just want to be. Just yeah. Don't look at me. Don't call on me. Yep. I don't know shit. Open my notebook up to the first page and on it was a noose, like a little hangman noose, with me hanging from it with the same thing, nigga, we're gonna kill you. And um, this is in the 90s. This is the 90s. In 1995, the KKK marched in the 4th of July parade in Brazil, Indiana. Now, they weren't allowed to march, like, actually in the parade. They were allowed to march 100 or 200 feet behind it. My mom didn't know how bad my grades were. She never saw one report card. Mm. I, hit, I hit everything from, and she didn't even ask. She was so bogged down with life. Mm. And so I got away with a lot of shit because mm. her mind was occupied. Mm. So it made me, honestly, a weaker person. Mm. So I scammed life. My mm. mom helped me scam life for a while. But this time I couldn't scam life. I went the second time, took the ASVAB test, failed it again. And a week later, she got a letter in the mail from my high school. And I'm a junior in high school. And, she, and the letter says, pretty much, your son's going to flunk out. He's missed 25% of school. Because she was always gone, so I didn't go to school. Mm. He's going to miss school. And so or he's going to flunk out. So I was exposed once yep. again. My mom goes, well, she read the letter to me. She put my bed and her best advice was, guess what? You're going to flunk out of school. Mm. That was it mm. in the conversation. Mm. So this is when I developed my accountability mirror. And th this is awesome. I, I look in the mirror and at this time, I didn't want to be the black kid in school. There's like five or six of us in school and like 1,700 kids, something like that. And I made up a character to kind of like draw attention from color. Okay. And so what I did was I started to design haircuts. And one haircut I had was the old man. And I shaved my head up here just like this. You did this. I did this. Okay. And I would keep 
the hair on the side, like an old man has. And one time I shaved my whole head and had reverse part, so I had, I had hair up here, and it kind of zigzag. So I did things to be this cool, crazy, kind of like creative kid. You know, like crisscross came out this time, yep. so I had my pants sagging, but backwards. Mm-hmm. So, my, so my back pockets were here. I had toothbrush. I was crazy, man. Mm. But I was a crazy, cool kid in school. Mm. So I look in the fucking mirror. I see this letter. I'm, I'm, I'm fucked up. And I'm like, you know what, man? No one's coming to help me. Yeah. I remember back to what my principal said. Cause I went to the principal when they wrote that shit on my car and in my notebook. And the best advice he can give me, God help his soul, was this. They're ignorant. They spell nigger Niger. And so that's, but honestly, I talked to the guy as I wrote my book and I have nothing wrong with Principal Freeman. Mm-hmm. He, he actually, I actually interviewed him for the book and he was happy to interview, he was, he's a good man. Mm-hmm. What the fuck you could tell some black, you're a white guy in white society, we, we, we could tell me. Mm-hmm. You, could, you could shut down the fucking school and have a fucking damn. So I started talking to myself this way in this mirror. What the fuck is Principal? Because at that time, like, this is the best you can fucking do, Principal Freeman? Hmm. That was my mind then. But in, in, in this mirror, it wasn't my mom. It wasn't Principal Freeman. It wasn't my dad. It was me. Because hmm. when nobody coming back to fucking help David Goggins, that was hmm. my mindset now. Hmm. And so with, with my non-spelling ass, I started getting these sticky notes wow. and writing, you're fucked up. And my mom wakes up like, what, what is wrong with you? Hmm. I go, man, I'm... I have to change because mm. I, I can't stay here. Wow. I can't, I, I looked at myself in the mirror and I was defeated. I go, look, look at myself. I'm like, who am I? Mm. So I'm defeated in this mirror and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm changing. I said, mom, can we please get a tutor? So we can only afford $15 a week for a tutor. So I have four hours a month, okay. four hours a month. I had a fourth grade reading level, man. Wow. Four hours a month for six months. Mm. That's all I had. So. This tutor did one thing for me, very big. Um, I wish I could remember her damn name. Mm. But basically, she saw that I was slow, very slow, and couldn't retain shit. And I think she was joking. She says, you're going to have to write down everything a thousand times for you remember this. Mm -hmm. I took it as, as, okay. Literally. Roger that. Okay. So I literally went to the store and I bought these spiral notebooks. And I started literally writing down, let's say it's a math equation. The same fucking math equation over and over and over and over again. When it came to a paragraph comprehension, I couldn't read the fucking paragraph and then remember it. Mm. So we had like, I think 25 or 30 paragraph comprehension things. I had to write down the whole fucking thing, like a whole paragraph. And you you don't have much time to take the fucking test. But that's how I learned. Okay. So how I learned the, uh, the, the um, Navy dive man, it was like a thousand pages, Navy dive man. I got it a year in advance. Oh my gosh. And wrote the book out probably 14 times. Like the Boyle's Law, Child's Law, Gay Lussac's Law, Dalton's Law, all these laws, but over and over, and over, the whole manual. So it's not like, so now I've done it so many times, I can go back in my mind and say, okay, page 71 was Boyle's Law. And I can go back in this, wow. and, I, and I'm looking at it right now, and I, re, and I remember writing it down so many times that it takes me to say, okay, I got it. And I can write it down almost verbatim. Wow. How I, so that's how I learned even to the day. Mm. But the work ethic, I had to, people think I became this guy from running. Yeah. No, I became this guy from fucking studying. Mm. I had to study for 
hours. What might, might take you an hour to learn? Mm. Take me two days. Wow. So yeah. that's where, in this, at the table, at the table, and my best friend Johnny remembers me like, God, you're like, you just changed. Something happened. Mm. I got obsessed. Mm. So I take the test. I score high. I get in the Air Force. And that's when I'm like, man, I'm going to be a pararescueman. And this is when I realized, man, I teach myself how to swim. I taught myself how to swim. But this is when I realized, man, that I'm negative buoyant as hell. Mm. And there's a lot of things. So what gets people in special operations is the water. Mm. Not swimming, but the water confidence. When they're like taking your air from you yep. and you're underwater panic. I realized I was very uncomfortable. Mm. So long story short, I was there for six weeks. I was uh, moving on pretty well, I was second in my class, and I was getting through all the water confidence, but barely. But I wanted to quit every fucking night. I didn't go to sleep every night. Just, mm. just, it just paranoid the next day of getting back in that pool. Mm. So six months go by, we had this medical examination, and they draw my blood, and they say, you have sickle cell. Mm. Sickle cell is a, a blood disease that some African Americans have. Mm -hmm. Basically, you know, if something happens in a stressful situations, stroke, heart attack, sudden death. Uh, this happened to a few African-Americans in the military. So they pulled me from training saying, you can't do this job. And when, when you live a very stressed out life, like I was living, yep. that's your norm. Mm -hmm. So not sleeping, being scared, that was my norm. Mm -hmm. I wasn't gonna quit. But when they pull you out of training, and now I'm fucking comfortable. I agree with you. So now I'm seeing my class of 24 guys. Yep. It was like 150, now it's 24 guys. And they're in the pool and I'm on the side of the pool. I'm not in the water now. Mm. I'm seeing what I was doing. Yep. I'm seeing these guys struggling, panicking in the water, like wanting to quit. I'm like, fuck that. Wow. I'm not going. So now I'm wow. comfortable. And yep. I'm able to see now I'm not going back. So now mm. my big dream of being a pararescueman, mm -hmm. I'm now seeing that do this. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I want to get out of the Air Force. Wow. I don't even want to be in the fucking military. So this is what I'm saying. So I'm hoping now that this sickle cell thing is going to get me kicked out of the military. Cause I'm like, okay, I don't want to go back in the fucking, I'm, I'm done. Mm. So I'm like getting happy. Cause now I'm like, I won't quit. They're going to medically drop me from the course. This is great. Mm. I can keep my head up. Mm. I learned how to read. I learned how to write. I passed the ASVAB test, but I'm fixing everything on the surface. Mm. I'm not going into the fucking dungeon. Mm. So the doc calls up. I go back to the doctor's office. I'm like skipping down there thinking I'm getting <laughs> out of here, man. <laughs> medically discharged. He goes, man, you know what? You were doing good in your class, and we don't really know. We don't know how you got this far with this, whatever. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to put you back in the train. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> so but I'm thinking now, I only have about a couple, you know, two and a half weeks left of training. Cause I missed a week, mm -hmm. a week and some chains. I go, you know what? Great, man. I have to suck this up, man. I can do this. So I'm trying to motivate myself on the way back to my CEO, my command officer, Sergeant Lumberg. I get to Sergeant Lumberg, Sergeant Lumberg looks at me and says, Goggins, man, that's great, you're back in the training. You gotta start from day one. Cause I'm at critical parts mm -hmm. of training. I, I can't miss that many days. And I'm like, but I was a great liar. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't look at a hardcore man and tell him that I just fucking quit. Mm -hmm. So I looked at him and said, hey, you know what? Sergeant, man, this, this sickle cell thing, man, the doc was talking about sudden death, stroke, heart attack. I didn't give a fuck about sickle cell, but I didn't know anything about it. I knew I was struggling. I knew I had some, some health issues, mm -hmm. but I just thought, because I was killing myself mm -hmm. and what I was doing. And he said, you know what, you're right, man. I wouldn't want to do that either. So he gave me a medical out of pararescue. Mm. 
And he said, we, when we figure this out more, we'll have you come back. I wasn't ever going back. Mm. I'm like, I never, I'm never getting back in the fucking water again. But I was able to leave wow. on a medical. Mm. But I, I quit. You quit. Why do you I admit quit. it? Why do you, why do you tell this story? I have to. Because everybody thinks I'm the world's toughest motherfucker ever right. lived. And I might be somewhere about that now. Mm-hmm. But that's where I was. Mm. And I tell the story because if I just talk about I broke the pull-up record, I, I, I did all these fucking races, I went through SEAL training, I, went through, I was in three hell weeks, ranger school. If I talk about all the badassery, like we like to do on social fucking media, mm-hmm. and I don't tell you that I was a fucked up kid, mm-hmm. and I was scared of shit, and I was depressed and insecure, and, and all this shit, what good am I for anybody? Right. I'm a superhero, mm-hmm. but I'm a liar. Mm-hmm. I'm that now, but I wasn't born that. Yeah. yeah, I had to make myself into this shit. It's amazing to me that this you know you won't accept it this way, but like this military icon, but not really like a social icon too. Like when people aspire to be tough and mentally tough. I mean, there are UFC fighters that when they win fights now, quote you in their post-conference interviews. You, I don't even know if you know that or not, but like no, I'll watch it. That. They're like Goggin says, you know, right. seriously. You know, so that guy kind of bullshits his way out of the military. Right. Like, that's, oh. that's staggering. And then that guy, if you don't mind me jumping ahead a little bit, good? then that guy ends up kind of living in an apartment, gains a ton of weight, gets up to almost 300 pounds, yep. killing cockroaches as an exterminator. This is just crazy where we're going to go right now. So, and then where we're going to go after that's even more bananas. But go ahead, jump back. So what's funny, though, though so I, I get out of pararescue, so I go to a job called TACP. Just real quick about that. It's a yeah. great fucking job, one of the best jobs in the military, but I'm all poopy pants now because I'm not a pararescue man. <laughs> so I'm thinking Tack P, some weak ass motherfuckers. Right. Tack P. Right. Del Toro. Is one of the best right. fucking jobs in the world. Mm-hmm. But my mind, once again, has me shackled. Mm-hmm. Now I'm thinking, I'm not a pararescue man. So I'm like, you know, Tack P was a great job. I had great friends in it, and I did it pretty well. Mm-hmm. But I could have been so much better. Mm-hmm. My mind was once again hijacking me. So I get out, and, but from, from the time from 1994 to 1999, or 1998, I go from 175 pounds to 297. Not much education. Mm-hmm. Four and a half years in the military, I started spraying for cockroaches and um, making $1,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And I had an $810 apartment. Mm-hmm. So I'm scrounging, dude. Yeah. And so my life is hard. Mm-hmm. And um, but fuck it, I'm spraying for cockroaches from 11 o'clock at night to 7 o'clock in the morning, and that's my life. Mm-hmm. But once again, man, you can't mm-hmm. lie to yourself. Mm-hmm. I can lie to you, mm-hmm. and I can lie to everybody else, and I was great at it. Mm-hmm. But buddy, every fucking day in that dirty mirror, that accountability mirror was no more. Mm-hmm. Fuck that accountability mirror. Let's just fucking shave my head and go to work. But I saw my reflection every day. But I really didn't know how fat I was. I, I, I didn't really want to look at myself. Yeah. But I was haunted. These demons were in my head every day. Man, you ain't shit, man. God, dog, man. You wear this fucking uniform. You get in your fucking Ecolab truck. You go spray for cockroaches. You fucking go in the kitchens. You eat your fucking brownies and shit in the back kitchen. You make shakes and shit while you're in there, man. I was like, fuck, man. So I come home, and I never forget it. I used to spray down Steak and Shake. My last stop at about 6.30 at night. Or 6.30 in the morning, mm-hmm. I spray down Steak and Shake, and they had this big, large shake. They, they gave me this special cup. And they just dump the fucking chocolate milkshake in there. And I go across the street to 7-Eleven. 
I had a 45 minute commute home and I would be, and I'd go over to 7-Eleven and get these chocolate donuts, like the mini hostess donuts. Yeah. And I was popping them like fucking Tic Tacs, dude. I, you know, <laughs> it, it was like, I'd eat it, i just fucking pop it, boom. Just fucking, just be driving, listening to the radio, popping them like Tic Tacs, <laughs> drinking the shake. So, so by the time I got home, that box of donuts was gone. Mm. My mom lived about two miles down the road because she moved to Annapolis, Indiana now. So what would happen is this. So I would eat that, and my routine was this. Shit you not. My breakfast was not that. My, that was my snack for my 45. So now my mom, and this is no fucking shit, my breakfast, you know those fucking Pillsbury cinnamon rolls? Yeah. You got the five, you got the eight. Yeah. I had the eight. <laughs> so you had the eight. She baked that shit, and then... It was seven to eight scrambled eggs hard and half a pound of bacon, well done. And I would chase that motherfucker down <laughs> with fruity pebbles, two oh, bowls, God. or fruit loops, something sugary. That was my breakfast after the fucking donuts and the shake. So this day though, I get home, call my mom up on the phone. She goes, you want your staple? I'm like, hell yeah, I'm a fucking steak, you know? And that's how I talk to my mom. Yeah. You know, me and my mom came yeah. with some fucked up shit. Yeah. Go, man, why you cuss so much? Because my life wasn't easy. Sure. So I'm yeah. like, I'm sitting in, in sugar coated for right. So my mom cusses at me because, mm -hmm. but we have a great relationship. Okay, great, come over. And so at this time, my routine was to come home, turn the TV on, listen to the TV, like blare it. Because, like, like, literally, I have this big living room, and my shower was like back down the hallway. So I turn the TV on and like blur the TV and kind of like listen to it a little bit as I showered. I'm hearing Navy SEAL. Heard about him, knew about him, but now I want to come out and see what the fuck I'm talking about. Cause I heard world's toughest. So I come out and watch this documentary. I come out, I, I basically I had my towel and I had my shake down on, on, the, on the counter. I have this little fucking TV in this huge, huge <laughs> living room. So I'm looking at the TV and I'm leaning forward and I'm watching this shit and it pretty much goes through First phase, second phase, and third phase, but they concentrated on Hell Week. Okay. But all I saw was the Pacific Ocean. Right, water again. Dude, I saw nothing but water. Mm. More water than pararescue. Mm. And these guys are like going from this big class to this, it shows them quitting. And I see nothing but this jackhammer. Guys, snot bubbles and just rolling around, sugar cookies, in and out of the surf. And carrying these boats and laws. I'm like, fuck that, that, that shit mm. looks evil. But mm. guys, as they quit, I saw like their soul leaving their bodies almost mm -hmm. on screen because this look came over them. Mm -hmm. And I imagined, I, I remember myself back in pararescue training, I bet that's how I fucking looked mm -hmm. in front of that fucking Sergeant Lumberg. Mm -hmm. And I bet he could see mm -hmm. in my eyes that I was basically quitting. Mm -hmm. He knew I was quitting. Mm -hmm. He just gave me a medical. Wow. That motherfucker knew it. As a man looking at another man, you know when the man's done. And I'm like, so wow. I, I, I thought about Sergeant, wow. I said, I said, that motherfucker knew I was quitting, dude. Mm -hmm. He just didn't, he saved me and didn't want to tell me I was quitting. He knew it. Cause I can look at somebody now yeah. and say, okay, dude, you're good. Mm -hmm. But I know you're quitting. Mm -hmm. It ain't your fucking knee or mm -hmm. your back or whatever. Mm -hmm. You're quitting. Mm -hmm. He saw that in me and I said, motherfucker, man. Mm -hmm. So now I'm watching these guys go through training and it goes down to 22 guys are left. And it was amazing how it ended. Because these words, I don't know them exactly, but it's in my book exactly. And this command officer's at graduation, and these 22 guys graduate buds, SEAL training. And his command officer's in his dress whites. He's up there, some old skinny fucking commander, fucking, mm -hmm. but you can tell he's been through the shit. Mm -hmm. 
salty looking motherfucker. And he's looking hard and his, and his speech was amazing. He goes, we live in a society where mediocrity is often rewarded. Mm. And he looked down at the 22 men and he says something about basically you all detest mediocrity. Mm. And he goes on to talk about this mediocrity and shit. And I just sat back and I said, God, man, I just want to be like these motherfuckers. Man. I want to mm. feel, because now I was projecting myself in those chairs. I want to, mm. how can, how do y'all feel mm. like right now? Mm. I go, I want to feel like you do. You, you 22 men, I want to feel like that, man. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm tired of feeling the way I feel every day. I'm tired of how I feel. I'm tired of lying to myself and lying to people and just being some piece of shit. Mm. And I always knew in the back of my mind I could be something special. Yes. But I knew the work it was going to take was going to kill me. Mm. I was afraid of that. Mm. I was afraid of the brutality and the suffering I was gonna have to endure. Mm-hmm. But I knew, I knew I could do something. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I ain't trying to do that kind of work, man. Mm-hmm. I'm just not trying to do that. So I chose the path of the easy, of, of mm-hmm. least resistance. So now my ideas, it, it became so haunting and daunting on me, my, myself, mm-hmm. that I said, I'm, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm fucking done. And I thought I fixed myself in the accountability mirror when my mom put the letter down on the bed. Yeah. Nah. Mm-hmm. So now, at this point, I actually drive back to Buffalo, New York to see my dad. Haven't seen him in years. I've not heard this part. And no one knows about this. Mm-hmm. I didn't even put this in the book even. Mm-hmm. So, so before I start this journey being Navy SEAL, I go back to see my dad because I realize now I gotta fix some shit. I'm blaming everything. I gotta go back, you know how a lot of times you're like, if you're a runner, your, 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 your right knee may hurt, mm-hmm. but it's not your right knee that hurts, it's really your left hip. Yes. But we're concentrating on the right knee. Mm-hmm. I'm concentrating on all my shit, but I need to go back to the root of the problem, which is my dad. Mm-hmm. I got to face the demon. Mm-hmm. I got to go back and see what made him so fucked up to make me so fucked up. Why am I fucked up? Mm-hmm. So I go back and I, and I go back in as an as a older man now. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in my 20s. I'm not a kid anymore. And I want to see this man and face him as a, as a, as a grown man. But still as a kid in my head, mm-hmm. I, was, I was still a kid, but I was a grown man mm-hmm. as, a, as my age. And I went back and I realized he was the same man that he was. Still the same. Still the same. And I talked to him. He was still nuts. And, um, but I had, to, I, I, I had to go back and face that one more time, mm-hmm. but to face it in a different way. How'd you do it different? I looked at him in a way, we never said sorry to one another. And he went off about my mom and my grandparents and all kind of shit. But I looked at him in a way that, I realize now why you fucked us up. Mm. I had to almost be him to realize it's okay, brother. Mm. It's okay, because I realized that somewhere in your fucking life, something fucked you up. Mm. And you didn't deal with it. Mm. And so you put that shit on me, my mom, and everybody around you. I'm going to deal with my shit. So even though you gave me all this shit, mm-hmm. you, you gave me a satchel of shit that I didn't deserve and now I'm all fucked up and people think I'm a fucking liar and I'm all fucked up. You gave me this. Mm-hmm. You created this fucking nightmare of Goggins. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fix it though. Wow. So now I get it. I look at it. This is what I'm saying in my head. This is my favorite thing you've ever said right now. And I love all of it, but that's my favorite thing. I've never heard that. I'm going to fix it now. Mm-hmm. So I almost take it. I take all this shit. It's mine. I'm going to fix all this shit. But I know to fix shit, people want to find peace immediately and this is where people don't like me mm. i don't believe that shit mm-hmm. you ain't gonna find it through fucking yoga and all this other bullshit 
I stretch out a lot and I believe in yoga, all this is great, but you ain't gonna find it in some fucking room. Mm-hmm. You're gonna find peace from going to war with yourself. Cause we all got shit. We all got shit. People look at me, every, the reason why my story resonates with people, because I don't hide. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you exactly who the fuck I am. I will admit to it. People are great at hiding. Mm-hmm. So they wanna just find peace. No, you gotta, you gotta take your shit, fix whatever's fucked up in you. Don't just shove it under the rug, fix it. And then you'll find some peace later after you fix some shit. So now I'm realizing this, I go home, Several months go by, and now I'm like, okay, here we are. It's time to be a Navy SEAL. Mm. I start calling these fucking recruiters, man. Mm. And when you're 297 pounds, and you have prior service, man, recruiters laugh at your ass, dude. Right, and you're not, you're not 22 years no, old. No, I'm either. 24. Right. You're... And so I'm fat, I'm right. out of shape, mm. and, and I know this. And so I finally, after two weeks of calling recruiters, I found this guy named Steven Saljo. And... Steven Saljo says, come on in the office. Mm-hmm. I walk in the office. He looks at me, and he's the first recruiter that said, you know what? Damn, you're a big fucking dude, man. You want to be a SEAL? I said, yeah, but he didn't give me the look of, like, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. He gave me the look of, let's go weigh you. He mm-hmm. weighed me, 297. He went through his little chart, started writing all this shit down, and he said, uh, you got a, a lofty, lofty task ahead of you. I mm-hmm. go, why? He goes, well... This program that I was trying to get into, I was in the reserves. And I was gonna go from the reserve program to an active duty mm-hmm. SEAL. So this program was shutting down. Mm-hmm. And I was gonna be in the last class, like one or two classes left before it shut down. Mm. So I had about three months mm. to get the weight standard. 100 pounds in three 106 months. 106 pounds. Mm. So the standard for a six foot one person back then, six foot, six foot one, I forget what it was, it was 191. Okay. And I was 297. So I pretty much said, fuck this. This pretty much can't work for me, man. Mm-hmm. This is impossible. So I go back to work spraying for cockroaches and I hit the mother load. Like I fucking, I, I, I hit the mother load of cockroaches, rodents and everything. And I, I go out to the, to, to the dumpster and these animals, I was like, fuck, I go, I, I'm done. Mm-hmm. So I quit my job. Right then, I, actually the boss had to come to my, I quit. The boss had to come looking for me to get the truck back. I, 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 I left work, so he had to come to my house. Okay. I didn't even go to work again. So all these restaurants, I had the keys to them all, the fucking alarm codes, all the keys were in the fucking truck. Like, he had to come by and knock on my door and say, but, but he brought some friends with him, Kyle tore 97 pounds. Like, right, oh, big dude. I, I need some Military fucking backup. Dude, right. I'm like, here dude, I'm out. And so I had now started my journey. And so now I'm like, I'm losing the fucking weight. But my first run was four miles. That's what you had to run that day on your plan. That was my plan. As I'm driving the truck back home from quitting my job, I'm literally, I drive home, I get my shoes on, and I run a quarter mile. Come home, crying. You stopped after a quarter mile? Yeah, walked back home because I was exhausted. Cause you still, I haven't run in like years. You're sucking down straight I remember, yeah, yeah. I, I remember back when I was 175. Yeah. Running was easy. <laughs> I was one of the fastest runners in class. But so now, it's just hard, man. Yeah. I'm fat, I'm out of shape. And I was just defeated. Cause now, I was 175. I was in good shape. Yeah. And I got myself into a bigger hole now. Yeah. And now I have to, now, I gotta lose this weight and I gotta take the ASVAB again. To get in the Navy. So I got to take that. So I, I took that fucker two more times. 
Because the first time I passed it, but I had to get a 50 on mechanical comprehension. So there's like 10 different sections. Yeah. Had to get a 50, I got a 44. You can only get a waiver for five points. <laughs> so I had to take it again. And guess what happened? It's, it's in the book really well. Mm. It's exactly what happened. I take the ASVAB test and I took it and now we, they have computers. Mm -hmm. Back when I took it the first time, it's like all like Scantron shit. Yeah. So now I see a computer, so now I'm freaking out. Oh my gosh, it's on the computer. So I take it and the sergeant in charge of the ASVAB test isn't supposed to tell you what you got. Okay. So I take it for my second time and my last time. They're not gonna let me take it, it again. So I'm now down to 215 pounds, I'm losing the weight, but now I take the ASVAB test for the second time to get in the Navy. As I leave, I get out to my car, and I'm like, this is my life, man. I gotta find out what I got in this fucking test. Cause usually it takes yep. two days to get the results back. But they get them immediately. Once you, once you hit send, that, that guy gets it right there. So I'm like, fuck that, man. I go back in. I go, hey man, can you please? Mm -hmm. He goes, man, this is fucking military protocol. Mm -hmm. I'm not breaking it for you. I'm like, people are still taking the fucking test. I'm like crying. Mm. I'm like, man, you don't understand what I've been through, man. I'm like, this is my mm. life. Mm. Please, I'm begging this guy, please let me know what I got. So he scrolls through, he sees David Guy, he goes, you got a 65. I go, great. I don't care about that. Mechanical. That was my overall score. I mm. go, what did I get on mechanical? He goes, you're asking a lot for me, man. Mm. I go, please, man, like, I, I have to get a 50 on mechanical. He scrolls over. I got exactly a 50. Shit. I, yeah. Have you seen The Pursuit of Happiness? Yeah. How that motherfucker, when he runs on the stairs yeah. and gets a job, and, yeah. like, and like your hair stands up the back of your neck because he worked so hard to get this shit? When I left that ASVAB, and I, it's nighttime, I'm getting my car, it felt like that. Did it? Something came over. It felt like I truly accomplished. You know, I passed it before, but now I know I'm all in. That's good for me to hear, for people to hear, because I have a hard time picturing you celebrating anything. And so that's good to hear that something, that, of all the things you've accomplished, you celebrated that. You know what's funny? Mm. I haven't celebrated since then. Mm. Because I needed that to start the war. Wow. Without that, the celebration was I can start the war now. It wasn't that I won the war. Mm -hmm. I can start my war. Oh. That's what made me, that's why I've been celebrating since because I'm, I'm always in that battle. Yeah. I have peace, but I'm in this battle every yeah. fucking day. Yeah. So I got to 50, I can start war now. I'm down to 215, I have about another month to go or whatever it is to fucking lose the weight. I dropped the weight, I'm in SEAL training now. Amazing. The war now can begin. Wow. And wow. it does. And the war begins, but I gotta tell you, it has to be a movie because I'm listening to you. It has to be a movie like the book. By the way, the book, everybody, you have to get the book. OK, you, I'm telling you, I read it in a day. And but now hearing you live and hearing some of the things that weren't in there, um, it's moving to me because now and this is just the very beginning of the war, too. Oh, so, so this man loses I think we're in chapter three right now. Yeah, this guy <laughs> sucks down. Uh, steak shack shakes and donuts and fruity pebbles or whatever the hell it was and all the stuff mom's making you it's amazing too I think a little lesson in there David is you had all these times where you thought now I've changed <laughs> and that's important for people to hear too because yeah. I've had that too it's like hey now I got it now I'm on it now and even seeing your dad yeah. even the dad thing that was a breakthrough but then even after that it was like 
It, it took the damn freaking cockroaches and rodents to flip you. And then even after that, you run the quarter mile, come home crying to yourself. Right. So it's all these things. Like, I think everyone thinks like, there's just going to be this defining moment period where everything changes. Because that's the movie. That's, and, and, that's, and that's the movie. And it's not real, no. is it? It's, I've never had, I've had moments, but it's never been like, that was it. And I've never been the same again. No, this is life. Yeah. And that's what I talk about, man. Mm. Like, like, life is not a movie. Mm. It's not a movie where you have one breakthrough and like you're just taking off. Mm. No, man. Didn't you have to do Hell Week three times? Yeah, so. Why? How that happened was once again, this is where the war really began. Okay. Um, so now I'm, I'm in SEAL training and I'm like almost in awe because I'm like, my God, I'm around the baddest men on the planet mm -hmm. from what I thought back then. But once you are able to get in the doors, you realize they're this fucking men. And that's when I realized, okay, this is good for me to see, man. They're mm -hmm. fucking like me. Mm -hmm. I had to work a little harder to get here. But now that I'm on the same playing field as them, let's fucking go to war, guys. Mm -hmm. So how it happened was there was a guy there at the, the command officer of Buds was Captain Bowen. He was an old, crusty Vietnam vet, and um, he had a different way of doing shit. Mm -hmm. And basically, no matter where you're at in training, if you failed something, he was gonna roll you back to day one, week one. We had guys who were two weeks from graduation, six month program, that got rolled back to day one, week one. They didn't have to go through hell week again, mm -hmm. but they got rolled back to phase one. Yeah. Day one of phase one, but, not, but, but they skipped hell week. For me, I got rolled back in first phase three times. First phase where hell week is at. And how it happened was, since I was a reservist, that also fucked me. Okay. So I had a double fuck on my ass. So basically, Hell Week was, I think, the third or fourth week when I was going through. And it starts on Sunday, ends on Friday. I get there, and I had fucked up shin splints, okay. stress fractures, double pneumonia. So I get rolled back to day one, week one. And I got to start Hell Week again. I didn't complete that Hell Week. So now, I get to my second class, day one, week one. I'm going through. I get through Hell Week. Happy as shit. Mm -hmm. But when I was in Hell Week, I actually broke my kneecap. And I'm thinking, I'm not getting rolled again, dude. Mm -hmm. And I really talk about this really good in the book, mm -hmm. but I'll just go through the highlights here. Mm -hmm. So I'm toughing it out. Like, I'm not get, I'm gonna go through buds with a fucking broken knee. Mm -hmm. And my stress fractures are on fucking fire. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm, I'm going through. So now I have to do this, uh, we had this knot tying test after, after Hell Week. And you got to tread water. Mm -hmm. And when you're treading with a broken kneecap, and, and, and I'm negative buoyant, so I'm using everything to stay up. Mm -hmm. And you got to go down and tie your knots. My kneecap is going in and out. And I'm like, fucking so. Mm. I talk about this in the book. So now I'm up on the pool deck, and I, I talk about it good, whatever. Mm. But here we are now. I realize now I can't get through this. Mm -hmm. Like my knee now from that pool session is like fucking a basketball. So I realized I go back, they x-ray and say, look, man, your shit's done. Your patella is done. Mm. So I now go in to Captain Bowen, and I don't want to get rolled again. And Captain Bowen looks at me and says, basically, we're going to let you come back. Captain Bowen and another guy, this other guy that I don't even mention, kind of like once we mentioned him. If it wasn't for this guy, um, I want to miss his name so bad. You know what I'm talking about. But I want to miss his name so bad. He actually talked to him a couple months ago. This is the guy that made this happen. He broke rules, I believe, to make this happen. Okay. 
Because I wasn't supposed to come back for a third time. Okay. Like, this is like inhumane. In mm -hmm. one year, go yeah. through another hell week. Yeah. So I'm sitting there in front of Captain Bowen, and Captain Bowen's like, look, man, we're going to let you come back in class 235. This is class 231. With a broken kneecap, look it up, man. Like, you don't, that's not a lot of time. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. So this was in May. I classed up again in January. I have stress fractures. Stress fractures don't heal that quick, man, yeah. especially when you beat them up. So I have that much time to heal, and that's it. My last time to go through Navy SEAL training. So I come back, and I'm now in my third hell week. We had a guy die in my third hell week from pulmonary edema. As you know, San Diego gets fucking cold, mm -hmm. especially in February, March. Yeah. That water temperature, the Pacific is never warm. Mm -hmm. He ended up dying. So I get to, and so we, hell week ended on Thursday morning because he died. Okay. So in about 30 hours early. But what happened with me was, as I said, hell week starts on Sunday. Usually you don't swell up until about Wednesday. Mm. My body said, oh shit, man, we're back. Mm. On Monday, mm. 24 hours into it, man, oh I'm God. the Pillsbury Doughboy. Oh my, my stress fractures, my, mm. I'm blown up. So I'm going through hell week like mm -hmm. fucking done. Yeah. But I'm like, I can't quit. This is my oh. last time going through. Mm. I can't get rolled. Mm. So I get through hell week, and this is where the shit gets fucking evil, man. This is where I start to click into something, when, you're, when your mind, this is this, this, this whole 40% rule shit I talk about all the mm -hmm. time, that I made up a long time ago, I started making it up through pain. Tell them what that is, what you go. So basically the 40% rule is, I am a strong believer that we quit, because why? How the fuck does a 297 pound cockroach guy right. who quit on everything is now considered one of the best man on the planet? Mm -hmm. How is that possible? Mm -hmm. It means I had to change one thing, my mindset. Mm. So there's no way in hell that that was in, but that was. That guy was in me. Mm. Well, that guy came down here and said, hey, right. guess what, man? You're a fat ass, <laughs> but I'm gonna now make you a badass. <laughs> I'm gonna miracle this shit mm. to be a badass. No, mm. it was in me. Mm. I had to believe and make that belief work. Mm. And through hard work, I did that. Mm. So the 40% rule is like we have a, like a car. Some cars have a governor on it. Mm -hmm. And when you get to like 92 miles an hour, that car will start doing this because it mm -hmm. can't go any faster. Mm -hmm. Those cars that don't have governors on, like a, like a fast ass, whatever, Porsche, whatever, mm -hmm. I'm gonna fucking bury it, gone. Mm -hmm. We have that ability in us, but we have put this governor, governor on our minds. And you have to, the factory that put the governor on that car, the factory is now you. Ooh. That put that shit on your fucking mind. You gotta take that motherfucker off. Ooh. Until you take it off, you're gonna constantly get to 92 miles an hour and do this. Because yep. you ain't gonna go faster. Yep. In my fact, you might even go slower. Mm. So basically, I started realizing this through my life, through going through all these times. So now I get through hell week, we ended like 30 hours early, and now we're in walk week. After you get through hell week, you have walk week. And walk week is when you're basically just walking around to heal up your body. And our walk week ended early because the instructors were pissed off. A guy dies. Yeah. But the instructors are mad that we didn't finish Finished. the complete hell week, but I already had a complete hell week course, already. Of course. Because I already gone through one already. Mm -hmm. So now I'm sitting there thinking, man, I already went through fucking one and a half of these. Now I have like two and a half of these motherfuckers. Mm -hmm. And now I'm getting my ass kicked because now the instructors are mad that our class didn't complete a full hell week and like they were like getting a pass. So they said, Roger that. They shut walk week down on like Tuesday. 
So everybody that was injured, because the Hell Week was very different than most of them, they had us on our feet the whole time, rucking, doing nothing but rucking, in and out of the water. It was brutal. So it was a much harder Hell Week than the other ones I was in. Was it? So anyway, my legs were broken. I'm saying, how the fuck now there's no walk week? I can't heal. So my idea was this. I'm going to have to leave my house early because I lived off base. And um, I, I left early. I got to my dive cage where we had duct tape. So I put my black sock on about 4 o'clock in the morning, put a black sock on, and what I did was I got duct tape. So, you know, whenever you move your ankle, mm -hmm. it causes your shin to hurt if you have any issue up here. So what I did was I casted with duct tape. So I, I, I put the duct tape over the sock, and so the, so, so the sock kind of protected it to give it a little cushion. Mm -hmm. I duct taped it as tight as I could, and right here at the pivot point, it created a huge pressure ulcer because mm -hmm. your ankle still wants to move. So that tape would just dig in there. Mm -hmm. So I did that every single day because my stress fractures were just killing me. So I ran pretty much for the first 45 minutes, the most excruciating pain of oh my life. God. And so, but basically after 45 minutes, my legs would go numb. <laughs> and when they go numb, you don't feel the shit anymore. So I went through buds like this. So now, the fucked up thing about it. My gosh, man. As I get the third phase. And for some reason, man, I healed my stress fractures. Really? And oh. I, to this day, I haven't had them ever since. Wow. But I literally, from running, and I'm not saying don't do this. Mm -hmm. But people go, how did you get through it? By the time I got the third phase, which is like maybe three and a half months later, mm -hmm. when I went to third phase, my stress fractures were healed. It's crazy. And I ran on them. And people say, was it shin splints? No, motherfucker. I had x-rays. Mm -hmm. They were breaks in my legs. Man. So, That's and I'm crazy. not saying do that. Yeah. But, because it, 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 it's very painful. Well, most people aren't willing to go to a point where they get their body to the point where it gets numb. It, right. Mean, you were, right? And people say, why did you do that? Mm. Is either that or not become a Navy SEAL. Do you think, can I ask you a question about Navy SEALs? Yeah. I'm just curious. You've been to three hell weeks, which is just... As you hear this, it's just, it's bananas. Do you, do you know, do you have any insight what the difference is for someone who finishes and doesn't? Because I've heard you say, I respect guys who didn't finish it too, mm -hmm. right? So is there some separators that your ability to just go away when the pain happens? Or what is it? There's only one separator, man. Yeah. And, um, and anybody, not just Navy SEALs, but anybody that can accomplish anything that is hard. The only separator is, is that they really want to be there. There's some people that get inspired mm -hmm. and that inspiration moves them to try to do something. But the inspiration is very high right now in this nice environment. We're mm -hmm. in a nice environment. Mm -hmm. The ocean's out there. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to you. If I want to go to the fucking refrigerator and get something to drink, mm -hmm. eat, I can. I watch a movie about some badasses. You're inspired. Mm -hmm. But the second you're not in this environment mm -hmm. and you're actually doing what inspired you, that suck factor is now real. You can't just get off your fucking couch and get a fucking shake mm -hmm. or get a fucking box of donuts or, or turn the TV or go take a shit or a piss or mm -hmm. go, go get your girlfriend to cuddle up. No, mm -hmm. you're now there. And only those people who have been there a million times in their minds mm -hmm and have lived in that water and have suffered a million times and realized my legs may break, mm. my knee may break, 
My bones will hurt. I will be the coldest I've been in my life. I will be miserable mm. and accept that. Because what happens is when, when you get in a horrible situation in life, your mind, I call it my one second decision. When you get in a horrible situation in life, your mind immediately says, get the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. Everybody's does, even mm -hmm. if you want to be there. Mm -hmm. But it starts to have all these different questions mm -hmm. in your mind in that one second. And it says, okay, why are you here? Why are you doing this? Why this? Why that? And then you start to say to yourself, if you don't want to be there that bad, I have a beautiful wife at home, man. Mm -hmm. Why the fuck am I doing this, man? Mm -hmm. Like, this is stupid. This is going to get these guys injured. For, like, like, they're going to pay for this mm -hmm. for the rest of their lives. I'm not going to break my body up to do this. Mm -hmm. Your mind starts to say, yeah, this is stupid. Mm -hmm. But if you, have, if you are already knowing that this is going to happen to you, you have all the answers to these questions mm -hmm. that your mind starts to give you when you're in suffer mode. And that's what I realized. You're true that your visualization of those moments over and over? Over and over again. You have to be there over, but not there at the graduation. Okay. You got to be there in the worst and the parts suffering. that you know over and over again. You got to live that in your mind. Do you like suffering or do you just deal with suffering? Real answer. Real answer? Yeah. I what? like to see... Real answer, I like to get a bunch of men together. Okay. Men mm -hmm. that are the hardest of the hard. Mm -hmm. And I want to be with these men. And I want to see them suffer. Because mm -hmm. I'm suffering right along with you, but I want to see me get through it. Mm -hmm. I want to see what you're made of. Mm -hmm. I want to see like almost like the Colosseum mm -hmm. in Rome. Mm -hmm. Let's fucking go to the fucking Colosseum. Mm -hmm. And the only way to see who the baddest motherfucker is, is to suffer. You mm. can't do it by writing a paper. Mm. So let's go. Because why? What I found out through my life was I thought of myself as some weak little bitch kid. And what I found out, and the only message I want to get across to people is once you change one thing, your mindset, you can attack everything. Mm. And I find it fascinating. I'm fascinated. Because I'll be in these moments. I put these guys on some fucking pedestal. Yeah. Which people do with you? They do with me. And they mm -hmm. shouldn't. And I was this guy who was a piece of shit looking at these. Oh my God, how are you guys? It's amazing. But once I worked my way up there, I said, my God, man. We can all compete, motherfucker. Mm -hmm. Let's go. Mm -hmm. So do I like suffering? I like suffering in the way that is competitive. Yep that brings out the absolute best in me and in everybody else. Mm -hmm. So like I wanna see a man be defeated. Mm -hmm. I wanna see a man get broken and say, fuck you. Mm. I love these men. Mm. These men I love, but mm. there's very few of them. Mm -hmm. There's very few of them. And there's very few that are willing to go there more than once. A lot of people, even people who've gone through special ops, mm -hmm. it kicks the shit out of them to a point where in their mind, what got me bad in pararescue was when I was going through it, I said, I'm only going to do this one time. Mm -hmm. And so many people in special ops, whether they believe it or not, in, in anything, fuck special ops, in anything, that's hard. I'm only doing this one time. Mm -hmm. Once you say that, you fuck yourself. The truth, I got to tell you. Off camera, you and I were talking about something. Now we're going to go to something cool. Okay. Well, we've been in something cool, but like I work with a lot of athletes and they get out of their career. 
They made this massive sacrifice all their life to get to the NFL. They make that thing happen. They're only willing to do it once. Right. And when that's over, their identity's set on that thing forever. And they just repeat the stories from that time over and over. That's right. And I watch them have such a difficult second half of their life. I try to help them with that. I've watched it with, my, with business people. And you and I were talking off camera. So I, I've, I've started to uncover with me the last couple of years that I've been on social media and teaching these things. And if you gave me that mirror test the last couple of years, right. that accountability mirror, when I look in it, I'm starting to look at a dude who used to do some crazy shit that was cool in his life, really accomplished some things. And all these accolades, people follow you, they listen to you, they, they think you're something special. You have that, I have that. Clearly the differences in our lives are, are too vast to even mention what you've achieved. The things you've overcome are completely different than mine. But I'm starting to realize something about myself that I want to give the audience a gift of and I want you to talk about it. You know what, I've just accepted. I'm only gonna be happy when I'm grinding for something. That's right. I'm only gonna be happy when I'm growing. I don't want to talk about stuff I used to do. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I want to do something great with my life. I don't know that I can get to the mental level you have, but I think everybody here needs to know something. If you just think you're going to do something temporarily once, man, you're going to be unhappy when it's over. That's right. How about you right now? When you look in the mirror right now, so Goggins looks in the accounting mirror today, mm -hmm. what does he see and what are your thoughts about that? So same with you. Mm -hmm. What happened with me was like, so who I was, I was this nobody guy. Mm -hmm. And I created this Goggins. Mm -hmm. And that Goggins, there's David Goggins and there's Goggins. David Goggins is a calm, cool guy that sits back. Used to be a you know, weak kid. Mm -hmm. Now he's just a normal guy. Mm -hmm. Goggins is a guy that is willing to tape up his legs to go after it. Mm -hmm. um, in that book, you read about David Goggins and also and Goggins. What I realized in my life is that Goggins is who I love. Mm -mm. Goggins is who I created. Mm -mm. My dad created David Goggins. I created Goggins. Mm -mm. So what's happened with me, and wow. since Can't Hurt Me came out, and since I got on social media, which is why I fucking don't like social media, which is why mm -hmm. I'm not on there very much, which is why mm -hmm. I give people one time, I have to do me. Mm -hmm. I have to do me. So people get it fucking twisted, man. I am who I am. Yeah. What's in that book is me. Yeah. So now what they see is this guy who's trying to get people to get off their fucking ass. Mm -hmm. That just happened to happen, man. Mm -hmm. I didn't set out. When I set out to be a fucking SEAL and set out to go to ranger school and all this other shit I did and break records, I didn't set out to fucking please motherfuckers. Right. I didn't set out to say, hey, Pay me now. Mm -hmm. I got a great fucking story. Mm -hmm. Fuck that. Mm -hmm. And I realize now that my life has kind of gotten to a point where people know me. Mm -hmm. I have followers and whatnot. The biggest depression of my life mm -hmm. is you get caught up into helping so many people out. And it's great. And I love that. But you lose yourself in all of that shit. The truth. It literally, and people go, man, but, but my God, like you're, you're changing. I get all that shit, mm -hmm. man. Mm -hmm. But what the fuck? is motivating you in that book. What's motivating you is the fucking stories I'm telling you about what I did in my life. Mm -hmm. Once I stop living that, I'm no more. Yes. I am not the fucker that you are now being motivated from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So right now in the mirror, I now got back to Goggins. Mm -hmm. 
I'm now back to running 100 miles a week. I'm now back to getting the fuck. I saw and I talked to my girl about it all the time. You, you, you travel, you speak, you, you know, you, you, all this shit. Mm-hmm. It's all fucking great and dandy for, some, for most people. Mm-hmm. I'm Goggins. What, what makes me me is the dungeon. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and people are like, well, oh my God, like they're going to hear this. My God, dude, you don't have any peace in your life. Don't get it fucking twisted. Mm-hmm. Weak people who hear me get all fucking poopy pants about how I talk. <laughs> so be it. Mm-hmm. What changed me was I had to be hard on myself. Yep. And I have to continue to grind myself into a fine dust. Yeah. Period. Yeah. That's where I feel good. Mm-hmm. I feel like I accomplished something. Mm-hmm. If things come easy, it's not fun. I must fail at something repeatedly. Mm-hmm. It has to haunt me. Mm-hmm. And then once I complete it, I feel like I accomplished something. Mm-hmm. I don't want to set out and say, oh, there's an A. We're good. It's fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. No, I want to turn in a million times and say you fail. You mm-hmm. fail. And I say, okay, Roger that. Mm-hmm. And sit there and analyze what I'm doing wrong. Go to these places that people don't go to anymore because all this fucking social media mm-hmm. shit and everything's computerized. Mm-hmm. I want to go to that dark place in my mind and say, okay, how are we going to get this done? Yep. I think people, the right people are happy when they're challenged by something. Like when they're pursuing something, when they're challenged, like when there's... When they're not where they could be. Right. Where they're, when they're not who they could be. Right. And you and I were talking about this off camera. It's like, I just want everybody to understand this. This is, this is from two people who are sort of in this space. We love helping people. We love making a difference. But what makes us make a difference is the, is the, the pursuit of who we've been becoming, these challenges. You and, and all the different ways you have. And in my, in my way, and, and millions of people in their way too. Like, I don't want people to think, I just want to get to a place and cool it. Because you, you get to that place and cool it, I think you're going to be miserable. You've got to still find somewhere. And I want to kind of go in your head a little bit because I've not lived this and very few people have lived this. It, it, I want to take you back there for a minute. And then at the end, I'm going to ask you what that thing looks like next for you. Okay. But so this whole thing that you did, you get out, we, where I can't cover the whole military thing because I want them to read the book, mm-hmm. right? But then you're like, hey, you really never done any of this before, but this is sort of the formula of what we're talking about. Then the, then the military thing ends, and then you're like, yeah, I'm going to go like run, uh, I'm going to do the Badwater 135. My cardio was 20 minutes every Sunday on the elliptical trainer. Okay. That was it. That's it. So I'm looking at all these different races, and one comes up, number one, the hardest race in the world, Badwater 135. 135-mile race through Death Valley. I'm like, that sounds fucking nuts. <laughs> but I didn't, but it didn't describe that it was a, like a couple day race. I'm thinking, okay, that has to be like a fucking seven day race. Because right. I don't know people who run like that. So I end up calling Chris Kostman up. Chris Kostman is the race director of Badwater. And he lives out here in California. He's like, hey, man. I'm like, hey, Chris. I call him up in the first conversation. I actually have all the emails in my book yeah. for me him going back. He's, he's a fucking stickler, man, yeah. to tell you that. So I call him up. I said, hey, man, I'm going to do this race. He's like, have you ever run 100 miles before? And I'm like, no. He goes, well, to get my race, you have to do a 100-mile race. And you got to do 100 miles in 24 hours or less. Mm-hmm. There was only two more races I could do before the deadline dropped. And so I'm like, he goes, you live in San Diego, right? I'm like, yeah. This was Wednesday. <laughs> I call him up on a Wednesday morning. He goes, well, there's a race on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's, it's called the San Diego One Day at um, Hospitality Point in San Diego where you run around a one-mile 
track for 24 hours and see how many miles you can get. So I'm like, fuck it, man. This guy's kind of calling me out. I'm, I'm going to get this shit done. I'm a SEAL. I'm a badass. Been through ranger school and shit. I got this. Hardest thing I did in my entire life, dude, was this one race. So I go. Harder than, than getting through. Hell yeah. Wow. I was not prepared okay. at all. So I go. I sign up for the race. I show up. I'm this big bodybuilder looking guy. Yeah. Shirt off. Black hat on. You know, and I'm, I set out. So every mile, I'm going to see this blue lawn chair. I had Ritz crackers and Mileplex. That was my fucking nutrition, man. Yeah, no yeah. water, no nothing. No water? No. Ritz crackers <laughs> and Mileplex, dude. Come on. I fucking, you know, cause I never drink water on runs and shit. I oh. fucking didn't know about all this shit. So I go out there and I'm running. I get through 50 miles. I'm going to cut to the chase because I detail it really well in yep. the book. Um, I get going. I sit down at mile 70. Mm. And buddy, I hadn't sat down yet. And I sit down and everything falls the fuck apart. Literally, man, I'm like peeing blood down my leg. I have some crap coming out of me. And I got 30 fucking miles to go. And I'm in the worst shape of my entire life. Mm. And so I won't get too deep into mm. it, man, but I end up going back through my cookie jar and I talk about, you know, my, my, my cookie jar is basically something I invented about we forget how badass we are when we're suffering because mm. our mind just stays right there in suffering. The cookie jar is a reminder. Mm. You know how your mom used to have the cookie jar. You, you, know, you don't know what kind of cookie you're going to get, mm -hmm. but it may be uh, oatmeal raisin, maybe chocolate chip meat because, you know, she's dumping them in that motherfucker. You just grab one and go. Yeah. So my cookie jars, the things I've accomplished, failed at, didn't fail at, just, just kept on grinding through. So I take this one second, I calm down, so I realize, okay, man, I got to be able to just stand up first, come all dizzy and lightheaded. And I go through this process. And I said, I might quit, but not yet. Hmm. I go, this is the worst shit in my life. So I said I might quit because when you're not going to quit something, you got 30 miles to go, your mind's spazzing. Like, okay. I'm fucked up. Like, I, like, 30 miles is a long way to go. Mm -hmm. Just fresh. Mm -hmm. I've already gone 70. I'm the worst shit in my life. I'm like, okay, so I, I'm giving my mind some space. Because if you don't give it space, it's just going to freak out. Okay. So I'm saying, you know what, I'm going to quit, but let me just sit here for a second and drink some water. Now, now I'm drinking water. I, I have my crew going over to get some fucking you know, nutrition, some, mm -hmm. some food for me. I'm getting better. So now I stand up. I'm like, wow, I'm able to stand up now because I wasn't able to. I was all lightheaded. And I'm going on this track, and I get to mile 81, and I wasn't going to make the time because I was moving slow. You're behind time. Way behind. Okay. And this is, the, this is the craziest thing in the world. And I fucking shit you not. I'm in the worst shape of my entire life. Ever. I've never even been close to this. Again. Never. Mile 81. I'm not going to make the time as slow as I was moving. And when your body and mind connect. And I think this is the only time I've ever done this. Okay. You become a cyborg. Hmm. I end up running 20 miles at about a 10, 15 mile mm. and get done with that race. I did 101 miles in 19 hours and six minutes. And to this day, and I don't, and I don't detail it well with you, but in the book I do, I learned more from that 19 hours and six minutes than I did in all three hell weeks, oh my God. ranger school. And this is months. Ranger school is 60-something days. 
Hell Week and, and, and all the buds is six months. I was in, I was in buds for like 18 months. Mm-hmm. You know, I went through Delta Force Selection twice, you know, pull up records. I learned more in that one race that I wasn't prepared for, that 19 hours brought me from utter misery, happiness, failure, success, depression. I went through every fucking emotion in the mm. world in 19 hours. Mm. And you should hear how the, how, how the race ended. Mm. Then I really took a shit on myself. Like I got in that blue chair when the race ended and I literally, it just was over. I was in the worst shape of my life. Mm. I got in the tub and they put the shower, or mm. she put the shower on me. The shower was hitting me as I'm laying in the tub in the fetal position. And what came out of me looked like dirt as I'm peeing, I'm, it's, not, it's not even blood, it's just, it's just dark brown dirt. Mm. And I'm sitting there and my, she calls my mom mm. and my mom has a doctor friend over her house. Mm-hmm. And this guy's one of the best doctors in the country. Mm-hmm. And he's like, um, you need to get him to the doctor now. No. So what I'm about to tell you is gonna fuck you up. So I'm sitting there and I think I'm, I think I'm gonna die. And worst shape of my life, and I'm in this tub and I'm jackhammering and, and I have this hot water hitting me and I'm literally in the worst pain. My, my shins, my feet, I'm broken. And I'm just sitting, I'm cramping up. And she said, we gotta get you to the doctor. You know, your mom's worried, I'm worried about like, I, we've never seen this before in my life. And I go, I'm not going anywhere. Huh. I wanna sit here and enjoy this pain. Oh. And, and, I, and I know the listeners hearing this are gonna say, man, you're a fucking nut. No, I'm not. What I got a chance to experience in that 19 hours and six minutes of my life was something I didn't want any painkillers. I, I, this was proof positive. What I was feeling is what I just did. I, I did something without training, without coaching, without a cheering staff, without any knowledge. I took a raw human being with no training whatsoever, put him out in a condition, and just through this alone, mm-hmm. got through it. Amazing. And I sat there and I was like, this is, it was the best feeling I've ever had and will ever have in my entire I was in the worst pain in my life, and it was the best feeling I ever had in my life. Not because of the pain I was in, but the pain was confirmation of, my God, did I just do that? Wow. And I had completed hell weeks, but that right there was like, don't take this from me. Man. And, And it was confirmation, proof positive that this young kid that came from shit, that wasn't mm. shit, that lied and cheated for, I was now the truth. God. I was now the truth. I was a Navy SEAL. I went through Army Ranger School as honor man. I went through all this shit. I, I was truth. Mm. I became truth. There mm. was no more lie. Mm. And what's funny about all that, man, David is the people in my life who were in my life when I was bad, and I call it bad, wasn't bad. Mm. I had a fucked up way to go, man. Mm. They wanna, they're still out there, and they know what the fuck I'm saying, I, I ain't gonna drop names mm. on them. They wanna take me back there. They're mad mm. that I'm here. Yes. 
they want to still make me out to be what I was. Right, right. They don't like the fact that they're still where the fuck they're at. That's right. They hate that. Mm. So on this journey in life, there's a lot of people who are fucked up right now. On the journey, there's always be that motherfucker in the sewer you came from that's grabbing at your fucking ankle as you're leaving that sewer. That's when to drag you right the fuck back down because you figured it out. Mm. They're not willing to figure it out. There's not much to figure out. Mm. The only thing to figure out is this. Gosh. And everybody has a different equation. Mm. My equation is different than yours. Mm -hmm. My equation was very different than most people's. Mm. And it's not about being sadistic. It mm. was just about that that right there was kind of like the moment of my life where I realized I don't like to say that I've arrived mm -hmm. because you never want to have that I've arrived mentality because you stop. But that was the moment that I realized that I was the truth. Man. I've done a lot of shows, um, but I don't go back and watch them that much. You know, I'll watch them a couple times when we do them. I'll go back and watch and listen to this last 10 or 15 minutes of We Talked About several hundred times. That's the most incredible thing I've heard. I'll just tell you straight up. That's the most incredible, beautiful, magnificent thing I've heard since I've been doing the show. Thank you for me for that. I appreciate that. I want to, um, that's just silly, crazy, awesome. I want to finish on a light note. Okay. I was saving this for the end because it's just ironic. So, I'm a Rocky fan. Oh. But this is going to trip you out. I actually got chills. I was reading about you and prepping because I've known about you for a long time. And, like, I got to have something in common with this dude. Right. right? I got to have something in common with him. And so, uh, Sly's a friend of mine, too, now, which is really weird. But um, I'm a Rocky fan, but I'm really a Rocky One fan. But not only am I a Rocky One fan, I've watched the 14th round. Oh, my God. See? Dude. Now my chills are coming. Yeah, I've watched the 14th round of the Rocky One movie. I'll venture to say, I can't count them, but it's got to be more than a thousand times yes. in my life. Easy. And so when I was a little boy and all the turmoil in my life and the dysfunction in my family and the things I wanted to achieve, I learned to visualize in my life by watching Rocky. That was my visualization. The fitness part, the training, the yeah. overcoming stuff. There's just this little part of me that's like a little mini Rocky in there. It's why I love working out. It's, and for me, it was the way he would take punishment. It's at the end of the 14th when he goes, cut me, Mick, and Mick cuts him, right? So they're going to think we're both just crazy. But what, have you watched that a couple times? And, and what, if, what did it do for you? I just want to finish on this because, like, this taught me to visualize and dream. There were no... My family's not like yours, but there's no dreaming or visualizations no. or motivation or go do something special. There was nothing like that in my house. I had Rocky and mainly Rocky one. I love them all, but like the Rocky three running on the beach scene, all that. But Rocky won 14th round at least a thousand times. What about you? No shit. <laughs> at least 20,000. <laughs> Why is that? Yes. Um, I've dissected that two minutes and some seconds, two minutes and 13, 14, 15 seconds, at least 20,000 times. Mm -hmm. When I did the pull-up record, and I finally broke it. Took did, you three times. Yep, did 4,030 in 17 hours. I listened to one song for 17 hours, and it was going the distance. Oh, God. Two minutes and 13, something, 14 seconds. On it, a loop. On a loop. But first, the guy, this guy named Nandor, 
he kept playing out loud for everybody. And I brought my own little iPad. I don't ever listen to music, but I was failing so many times at this record, I had to go to that place. So I said, you know what, I don't want to bore you all anymore with this same song, because I, I had a crew of people there filming it, mm. you know, because it had to be documented. Mm. So I didn't want them to be there for 17 hours listening to the same song, kind of, mm. it bore them. So I put in my ears, listening the whole time. But I'm going to go a step further. In that round, when Rocky gets knocked down, and Mickey's saying, stay down, stay down, and he's getting up, Apollo Creed thinks that he knocked him out. So I have this thing called Taking Souls. Okay, and when you see Apollo Creed turns around, arms in the air, I fucking got him. Do you see when he turns around and he sees because he Apollo Creed knows I was fucking this dude up. Yep. He kept coming after me and I finally knocked him down. When he turns around and looks at Rocky and and he says and watches him get up and Rocky gets his gloves and motions him to come to him. Yes. Apollo puts his head down and just goes like this. It's not so much Rocky getting up. That's big for me. Apollo Creed's face became every motherfucker that verbally and non-verbally looked at me. Because you know that look they give you when you think that, you know, Mm -hmm. they may not tell you you're a piece of shit Mm -hmm. and you're nobody. Mm -hmm. But they look at you almost like, you poor thing. Mm I got them all. Mm-hmm. I got them all on that phone. You know that, that, that little wheel you have with, with everybody's name on it and phone numbers and shit? Yeah. I got them all on that motherfucker in my head. Mm-hmm. And I spin that bitch every motherfucking day. And I know right now, whether you hate me, love me, I'm a fucking dick, I'm a this, I'm a that, whatever you want to think, I made it. Mm-hmm. And I know all of you motherfuckers are looking just like Apollo Creed did because mm-hmm. I just kept getting the fuck up and all I wanted people to do in my life I don't care about the fucking money I don't care about the fucking fame I don't care if any, I don't care if all my followers go away tomorrow mm-hmm. I wanted a lot of people mm-hmm. that doubted me to look like Apollo Creed did in that 14th round because I got back up repeatedly mm-hmm. and when you keep on getting back up like that no matter how strong the person is that's beating the shit out of you they eventually Look at you and say, you know what? I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And I just want people to be tired. <laughs> just be tired. I want to make you tired mm-hmm. because I just continue. So that's what that movie did to me. That, uh-huh. that movie changed how I looked at life. Me too. It did. Me too. I'm blown away because the part of the scene, thank you, the part of the scene, anybody that knows me real well, all my life, I wanted people to give me that. He gives them that, like, what the, what are you? What mm-hmm. the hell? And I wanted, whether it was a coach or dudes I grew up with or whatever it was at point, just go, what are you? That's it. And, um, and I, I gotta tell you, I don't do that with a lot of people. I, I do that with you. I like, and I'm, that. I have a tremendous amount of respect for you. Thank you. And uh, I'm proud to know you now. Well, I, yeah. I really appreciate that. And I didn't want to win. I still don't want to win for some reason. Mm-hmm. I don't care about winning. Mm-hmm. For some, I just want to go the distance. Yeah. And that's a true story, man. I, I, and so it's, uh, it's a powerful movie, man. But, yeah. but thank you for your kind words and what mm-hmm. you said. I'm very humbled by that. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the next thing is for you. And uh, I really am because um, this is nowhere near the distance. Right. You're nowhere near, right? right. And so um, 
I'm really excited. If I can ever help with any of it, I'm certainly here for oh, you as a friend. I appreciate it, man. I'm a big faith believer, man. Even though people look in my mouth and say, how can you believe in God? I'm sorry, man. We live on earth. Mm -hmm. And sometimes life is fucking hard. Sure it is. don't mean you don't believe in shit. But I know for a fact, as fucked up as my life has been, to be where I'm at today, um, there's obviously more. There I, I'm, I'm obviously a fucking messenger of some sort because I don't fit the mold, man. Yeah. I'm obviously a messenger, so. All your life's been preparing you for this moment. I'm, I'm excited for the next one. I believe that. Thank you for today. Thank you, man. I appreciate Pleasure you. Pleasure meeting you. Thank you. Everybody, I don't have any words. You heard it or saw it. And so I know your life was moved. You know, all I ask you to do is share this show with somebody that you care about, somebody you believe in, somebody that you want to see win. Reminder every day on Instagram, we run the Max Out Two Minute Drill. You get a chance to engage with me. There's three ways to win. You make a comment on a post, you make a comment on a comment, uh, or you post it. You make a comment at any time of day. You win coaching calls with me, my guests, ride on the jet, gear. Tickets to see me speak, whatever you want. I want to engage with you closer. Please do that. God bless you and continue to max out your life. This is the Admired Show.